2023. Angela Marie Publishing will be in Kansas City, Missouri at the Heritage Festival in the Historic Vine District. Saturday, June 17th from noon to 10 p.m. Visit our booth at 18th and Vine for exclusive Juneteenth pricing and deals on all AMP products and merch. Featuring paperback books from the Art of Cheating episode. The full lineup of the Healing Collection, brought to you by the Blacked Out Couch Podcast. The I Am series, featuring the limited edition I Am Pretty shirt. And a special Juneteenth 2023 version of the I Am Prosperous team. Saturday, June 17th from noon to 10. Historic Jazz District on the Vine. Come out and support Black Heritage and Freedom with Angela Marie Publishing. Bringing words to life. What up, podcast world? This your dude, Walt Lee Dundilla, the popper, Mr. Activelli. Pull up on me, 1809 Vine, 8600 Ward Parkway, or yes, I'm KC.com. My home. Most scratched in the rest, where your bag at? Posted in the store, moving t shirts Good evening to all of my brothers, all of my sisters, to any and everyone tuning in and trying to navigate this thing called life. Whether you've been following this healing movement from the jump or you're brand new to the family and tapping in for the first time, welcome, welcome, you are absolutely welcome. This is the Blacked Out Couch Podcast, but we like to think of it as more of a safe space for decompressing instead of your typical pod. And the purpose of this show is to encourage and promote mental health awareness in our communities. For decades, the mere idea of addressing trauma and healing has always been taboo in the black culture. We're hoping to change that narrative one day at a time, one conversation at a time. Now keep in mind, although we do believe wholeheartedly keys to an intentional healing journey include support groups such as these as well as a variety of other ways to cope. In no way shape or form is this show intended to be a replacement or substitute for professional treatment for your mental health needs. What we want to do is encourage, uplift and provide our audience with the tools and resources that have helped some of us maneuver in our day-to-day routines. While some of our panelists do have experience and specialize in the mental health industry, we're all everyday people trying to get by, just like you. So always remember, no matter what you may be going through, you are not alone. Again, welcome everyone. It's going to take plenty of courage to see this thing through, but I got faith in us, ladies and gentlemen. I hope we hear Couch family and followers. 
You are back on the couch this evening with yours truly, Princess. Last time you tuned in, we, the sisters, had a conversation about strong Black women, whether it's essential, whether it's erosive, whether it's a mix. Uh, if you missed it, be sure to tune in. You can find it on all of the major podcast apps as well as on YouTube. Um, however, on tonight, we're going to be discussing finances and mental health. The title of tonight's episode is from money woes to money flows. We want to get into what money means with the sisters tonight, how it's shown up in the Black community. Uh, we also want to talk about what we can do and some mindsets that we can change to take control of our finances and alleviate a little bit of the mental stress that comes along with the topic of money. Uh, so joining me tonight are five strong women, and we're going to go ahead and get going. But first, I want to introduce you all to the lovely ladies tonight. Bringing on to the couch first, we have Janine Anderson. Hey. Hey, how are you doing, Miss Princess? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for asking. Welcome, and thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So tell us a bit about yourself. Who are so, you? I'm Janine Anderson, a former school teacher. Um, now I'm a financial broker, a uh, regional vice president for an organization where we help people understand financial literacy, a uh, branch manager, a single mom of five beautiful children. And um, that's about it for me. Been in the industry 12 years of experience in that. So we've been teaching, you know, over 20 years. So. Wow. Wow. It does not show. I need you to tell me the secret. It doesn't. I'm like, I need you to tell me the secret so I can, I can wise up gracefully. I don't call it aging. I call it wising up. Wising up. That's right. I like yes, that. I'm yes, you I know. That. Well, take it, take it, take it. Awesome. And I do appreciate having you tonight. We also want to, thank you. We also want to welcome to the couch, Shonda Arthurly. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Welcome, lady. We are excited to have you back. You were with us last week. I'm glad to be back for sure. Yeah. Yes. I really enjoyed the last conversation. Good. We enjoyed you. I appreciated you uh, dropping some knowledge about emotions and how they need to, those emotional expectations need to show up in the relationship. Uh, that that hit me because I'm like, oh, I don't know if I do that. I appreciate that. I, I, I got to learn how to practice it myself. Just something that, you know, I thought about at the moment. <laughs> so. Of course. Well, it's important. Well, tell us about you for those who didn't tune in last time. So um, I'm originally from Kansas City, um, but I live in Fort Worth, Texas. I've been in Texas for 14 years, just made 14 years this month. Um, my connection to mental health um, in general, just um, I'm a trauma survivor, multiple traumas. Um, and I kind of started like self-study in psychology, like at a pretty young age, just to help myself kind of cope and get through and learn what I need to learn about how to heal and things like that. And, um, so I've been a mental health advocate, advocating for mental health for quite some time. Um, I'm also a certified wellness coach and I, I believe that, you know, wellness is a is a holistic thing you know um and, and mental and emotional health are included in that and um also you know recently found out that um i had adhd which is uh something that's frequently uh, goes undiagnosed in women and is 
often confused or uh, misdiagnosed as anxiety and depression. And so mm-hmm. I want to be able to offer some um, some help or understanding from from my perspective, what I've been experiencing with that as well. OK, well, thank you for sharing it. Yeah. 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 I, I've uh, actually been wondering myself if I should get tested uh, because it's like I think my mind goes a mile a minute at times and then I feel like I lose train of some thoughts. My mom used to always tell me, I, your mind goes so fast. And my husband tells me the same thing, babe, you need to slow down. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do believe that your insights will help touch others and, and, you know, have others want to get their mental wellness examined as well. Yeah, because we don't know. I, I got diagnosed with anxiety long before I ever got an ADHD diagnosis. So, yeah, mm-hmm. see. And has, so have you noticed any difference now absolutely. in your treatment? That's oh, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, I'm happy for your progress and we're excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you for You're having welcome. me. You're so welcome. Let's also welcome Nico Baker. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hey, Nico. Hey there, Shonda. Hey, Janine. It's good to have you back on the couch with us. Yes, I'm very excited to be back. Of course. Well, you know, I know why I'm excited to have you, but why don't you go ahead and drop a little bit of your resume for the audience so that they can know who they have grace in their Absolutely. Well, I am Nico, as you mentioned, and I just always like to say I am here in this current moment because I'm still here. You know, I've been through so many things. Uh, My foundation is grief, honestly. I've dealt with mental health from a very young age. My dad passed at nine. My mom passed at 11. And then I had deaths um, continuing, you know, after that. Um, But most importantly, with going through all those things, you know, I just want to be available for in any way that I can to help others. Um, And the word says that if, you know, two of you will, you know, touch and agree, you know, anything that you ask, you know, you'll you'll have. So I'm just here. I feel like my purpose is to add my touch and to help promote growth, you know, and joy um, in the areas of mental health and also grief. Well, you know, I I am a firm believer that it doesn't matter how long ago you lost someone, loss is loss. uh, And so I would like to extend my condolences to you. Thank you. You're welcome. But I would also like to extend my commendations to you for surviving, not just for surviving, for flourishing, you know, for being courageous and strong enough to, to carry your load enough to help others and, you know, being able to truly face your truth and grow from it because I don't know what my world would be like if I didn't have mom and dad into my my young adulthood. Um, And so just know that I really would like to honor you and your strength. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Next up, we have Courtney Lucas. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Courtney. Hey, Courtney. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. A little nervous, but I'm happy. (laughs) No, that's okay. It's okay. You know, when you're um, doing good work like this, sometimes it's normal to be nervous, but you don't need to be. Your talent will shine through. 
It will. It will. Actually, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I grew up um, partially in Wichita, Kansas. So that's where all my family is from. I, I still call Kansas home. And I moved to St. Louis when I was eight, turning nine. So I've lived here for most of my life. Um, right now, I am a senior analyst at a private investment firm, and Princess and I have two work together. So um, this is how I found out about Black Dog Couch Sisters. You know, she's been extremely um, close and kind of in a mentoring way, a big sister way to me at the company and just in life in general. And so I just couldn't help but I, just, I wanted to help out. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So I tell everybody whether she accepts it or not, she's my baby sis. So this is the first time, y'all, that she has actually reciprocated Aww. that and said that I'm like a big sister to her. I'm very gleefully happy right now. <laughs> very gleefully happy. Uh, oh, my goodness. And she... While she is a very talented analyst and a very wise woman when it comes to finances, Courtney is so much more than that. I will sing her praises for days, but I will definitely let the audience know that she's an entrepreneur. She's a pillar when it comes to service in the community. She believes in building up the youth. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to have her touch of love and wisdom joining this fantastic panel of women. But we have one more whose wisdom touches me every time she graces my presence. And I'm excited to showcase and have her here as well tonight. We have Adrienne Taylor. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, Princess, how are you? Um, Go ahead. I'm awesome. Thank Good. you for asking. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I good. say time that, that you do my ego good. <laughs> You're so full of encouragement and, and compliments. And I love how you lift sisters up. I, you, really, everybody, if not ever heard you say anything bad about anyone, You're always full of um, praise and encouragement. Yes, well, you're welcome. And I, while I do appreciate that compliment, um, I would like to think that I'm a mirror that I, that I just return what's being radiated. Um, and so I would like to say sorry on behalf of those who are not radiating or reflecting what you are radiating back to you, um, but I can't make up what I don't see. I, I really do mean that. Uh, and I'm, I'm thrilled to have all of you here because you have all touched me in some way or given me some guidance and wisdom. So why don't we share that with the audience and get right into our topic tonight which is uh, money. You know, the, the topic is money woes to money flows. And really, that's getting at the Black community being so bogged down at times uh, when it comes to money and dealing with the stresses and having mental health issues is directly related to finances. Um, taking that generational curse, I dare say, and starting to transition into a world where money flows. Uh, when we hear money, it's prosperous for us. We don't feel as much of the stress. We feel confident in the decisions that we're making, and we have a way to go as a community to get there. But we need to start those conversations now, because if we don't, when will we? So I have a question for y'all. What is money? As a Black woman, what does it mean to you? What, the, the concept of finances, when you hear that word, you think of what? It's a loaded question. I know, I know. 
I mean, presently, it means I mean, how I, I pay my bills. <laughs> Go ahead, Janine. Yes, we can. Okay. Uh, I, I was only saying that to me, um, money is a tool. Um, it's um, and it is transferable, but uh, it it is a tool that is necessary. You know, uh, as far as what our lifestyles uh, could be, um, how we can bless others, what we can do for other people. Uh, it's not uh, a, a scarce thing. It, it flows freely, just like energy. And uh, it's a necessity. It's a necessity. You said it's a scarce thing. It's not scarce. It's not. Oh, okay. I'm like, it's a scarce no. thing. Oh, I, <laughs> I was definitely going to say, wait a minute. I think I'm going to have to challenge that one. <laughs> no, no, it flows. It flows yeah. rapidly and it's not. And if we think it is, then we it control will. how it flows. To so that, that's why I said it, but it is not a scarce thing. Yes. Okay. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Wholeheartedly agree with that. And then, Nico, you were saying that for you right now, it's a way to pay your bills. So to me, that sounds like it's still a, a tool. Yeah, you know, yeah, same thing. It's just a means. Yeah, means to um, honestly, you know, get take care of your responsibilities. Most definitely a tool. Um, many ways to, you know, um, earn you know money as you know janine says it's it flows it's forever flowing as long as you have the right um positive you know energy and mindset in regards to it and you're um you know seeking ways to um you know strengthen that tool you know mm -hmm. it's basically just a means for several things to be accomplished in life okay yeah so i was gonna basically say the same <laughs> like money to me is a tool. Um, I believe it can be used in good ways and bad ways as well, um, like any other tool. Um, but I also, you know, think of security, prosperity, you know, ability to have experiences in life, you know, um, and and just be able to live comfortably and happy um in the current economic system that we have because that's what we have okay okay so i'm i'm gonna go ahead and ask a follow-up question really quickly um if money is just a tool why do we feel like it causes so many problems in relationships and families you know kind of why is it so influential that's that idea of scarcity. That's what causes the conflict, the idea of lack. And I also feel like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, just thinking you have to scramble for it, you know, like it's, it's, it's available, you know, there, you have to, you know, educate yourself, um, you know, put yourself in position, um, but it's most definitely available. So I agree with uh, Shonda, but I also as far as the word goes, the love of money is where a lot of the issue comes from. And it's okay for us to have money. We're supposed to have everything our heart desires. But when you love it more than the, the most important thing, then that's where a lot of issues come in as well. Mm -hmm. 
and I would like to add to, to Nico and Shonda that uh, to answer your question as well, a reason, the reason why a lot of people uh, have issues with it because it's all based up on their perspective of it, their understanding of it. You know, um, do do they love it? Do they think it's a lack of? And, you know, so when you perceive something a certain way, you will, you know, respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. And and that's what happens, especially in, in our community, when we feel it's a lack or we feel we don't have the ability to get it. You know, we can, you know, rob or steal or kill for it. Or when you feel it flow freely and I have the skills and the gifts to get it, you view it a different way. So it, it's all about how that individual actually perceive what it is to them too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I kind of want to piggyback off of what Janine was saying because I think um, growing up and stuff and just like seeing other people as well, like when people like thought of money, they thought of like, oh, who has money? And they thought of, oh, that person has money. That person lives this type of life. That person lives that type of life. So like when we go back into like relationships, you know, with our boyfriends, husbands, or just family and friends, and our friends are saying like, well, I should have this type of life. I don't have enough money. So let me, you know, get as much money as I can to like live this type of life, you know, kind of ruins what I guess to me, what life should actually be about instead of just chasing after what the next person had, you know, just being thankful for what we already do have. When I think about money, um, I think about the word that came to mind was access. And then if I'm honest, uh, power to some degree. And so I think that um, when we're thinking about money or when we're talking about money, it does go back to your mindset and your beliefs and the, the money stories that we have and that we've been passed on, whether we realize it or not, just like we passed on other traditions and habits from generation to generation, we can also pass on money stories and it affects and impacts the, um, the relationship that we have with money. So I think um, mindset and thinking about what your money story is plays a role in um, how you view money, what you what you think or believe about money and how you okay. utilize it. I agree. So my answer would be probably closer to yours, Adrian. And some of y'all might knock me. I'm going to just say, you might knock me, but I have to be honest here on the couch. Um, one of the first concepts that I have with regards to money, I'm not saying this is right, <laughs> but... I think of a a measurement, especially when it comes to my career. I use money as a way of of measuring how successful I am. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that society kind of has taught me. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is rooted in growing up in lack, right? And Mm -hmm. and kind of feeling like if I am successful, then that means that I have more money and that probably you know, again, comes from the fact that I would be obtaining something I didn't necessarily have in my bloodline, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I think about other areas, right, like knowledge or education, I feel like that's a given, that's a standard. There's plenty of information to know. 
but I don't feel like the more that I know, the more successful I am. At the end of the day, for me, my first instinct is that the more money I have, the more success I have. And it's it's a concept that I've been trying to unlearn. Um, but that's the first thing that comes to mind for me when I think of money. I think well, for me. Coming, oh, go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I can kind of agree. It's kind of like, for me, it's kind of like a cognitive dissonance around money <clears throat> in some ways, because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I do see it as a means of um, uh, establishing or showing a means of reward for yourself, for your success. Um, but I, I, I think part of the problem with that for me is becoming overly attached to outcomes that I have no control over to begin with. So there are certain things where uh, I feel like if we're, if, if we're more um, focused on the success rather than the money, then this, then the money will come. I think it's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. And I was just going to piggyback, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to, you do have to use money as a measurement. Because if your job is to service someone, it's direct relationship of servicing someone. So if you don't see a cash flow and that's your way of living, then it is a measurement because without helping people, no money flows, you know, mm -hmm. so you can measure how successful you are or or even if you are, you know, employed and you're going up the chain when you get higher positions, you make more money as well. You know, mm -hmm. so money most definitely is a measurement, but it also measures your lifestyle as well. You know, what's my zip code? You know, where do my children go to school? All of that is based upon, you know, the amount of money that, that you actually, you know, obtain. So I agree with you with that as well. It is a measurement. Yeah. And I mean, I think it, that's, in addition to everything that was already said, it is yeah. a tool, <laughs> right? It, it, it is um, a way for us to have access. And actually that's why a lot of us don't have access to, like Ms. Adrian was saying, we don't have access to things that we need. Um, in the prior episode, we did talk about access to the resources we need to take care of our mental wellness, to take mm -hmm. care of our well-being in general and how that's getting harder and harder by the day, especially with inflation, especially with everything costing more, costing more. And the the the, um, the wealth gap, the wealth disparity mm -hmm. that exists in our country between the wealth and the population, to be quite frank, between different demographics such as whites and blacks, mm -hmm. it's not it's not necessarily narrowing across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think um, one one question that I would like to pose with that in mind is knowing that a lot of us come from lack and knowing that money means access, knowing that it means uh, measuring, you know, progress, success. Also that also that like we as a community had a point in time where it seemed like we were on the page with money and then it got stripped away from us. Um, I'm getting to, to Black Wall Street. What behaviors do you all feel like we possess as a community that is not necessarily helping us in terms of using money and its intended purpose as, you know, um, a, a resource or even just being able to, I don't know, build generational wealth and support one another? Like, what behaviors do you think we've been exhibiting? 
trying to prove to other people through through what you own, what your materialistic goods, uh, cars, clothes, you know, um, that type of thing. Um, I, I also wanted to, I, I'm not going to take too long, but um, I did, after reading the questions, want to be like, you know, uh, other cultures help each other. Like other cultures, like I live in Texas, there's a lot of Hispanics here. You'll see multiple families living in one household. And I've seen places where uh, they got a little house, they bought a little house, they all stayed there. Now that house is huge with, you know, you know, they're taking care of each other. They're helping each other. Multiple people in the household are working. Um, they're able to save on their own, you know, and, and build wealth for their future because they're willing to help each other. We're constantly competing with each other. And to piggyback off of LaShonda um, and to answer your question, uh, my honest opinion is, uh, and I think uh, maybe Nico said it earlier, someone said about the things that are passed on from generation to generation and uh, uh, the mentality that we had uh, or we were, uh, we, we had as a people when we were enslaved, um, I think that mentality has still passed on from generation to generation, you know, because once upon a time we couldn't learn, once upon a time we couldn't build wealth, we had to build it for someone else. And we have not quite caught that we are still kind of thinking in that same uh, mentality uh, for generations to generations, even though we're free, you know, we don't want to help one another we still dealing with you know who's light who's dark who look like this who look like that who got this who has that you know versus uh coming together we still carrying that separation that was given to us during that time and we're still carrying the the thought of money uh, or the lack of money um that was given to us at that time and and i think it, it starts there with uh our mind our, our how we think about money how we think about each other as a people because we have to change the way we uh we have to get rid of that generational thought process that was passed along uh to us because that's the foundation of it if you think about it it's the same thing it's just a different time and we walking around free but it's still the same division yeah. still it's still nobody want to know about money you know just being in the industry nobody want to sit down they think they can't have it they think they're not supposed to i see people who think they're not supposed to have mm -hmm. it you know so think about it that is the mentality when we were enslaved it still exists today mm -hmm. yes and I also um, will add to that, that in that like same line of thinking, we spend, 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 even though there's supposed to be this lack, we are one of the top percentage, like the black community, as far as spending goes. So we do a lot of spending that creates wealth for others versus spending inward that will create wealth for ourselves and our community. And there's one example, like in your question, you mentioned like behaviors and things like that. It could be something as simple as maybe, you know, you kind of had a rough week or it could be the opposite. You did something great and you want to celebrate. And so, you know, you want to go out and have this fancy meal or you want to go out and buy yourself something nice. Um, and it's a mindset shift to say, hey, I'm going to celebrate me by putting $100 in my savings account. 
like that's how I'm going to celebrate yes, me yes. versus going out and spending a hundred on a meal or on a new pair of shoes. So I do think it goes all the way back to those times to where we're, you know, we're stuck in that thinking that we can't have and that this is just how it goes. And I have to get all of my items for other from other people and make other people be wealthy. Um, but if we would shift that mindset to inward, like do things for ourselves, become entrepreneurs and also save and help your um, generation, your the next generation as well as far as uh, the behaviors for money too. Yeah. So um, Nico, speaking, you're, we're talking about passing that on and, and what we're teaching our kids. And I thought that, that was um, kind of interesting. Last, uh, last week, I did a career day at an elementary school and I um, showed them the rule of 72, which is uh, a formula that teaches you at a given interest rate, how um, how often your money will double, how many years it takes for your money to double. So I showed them the formula. They caught on to it very quickly, third through sixth graders. And mm -hmm. so when I started to show them how over time money can compound, depending on the, the different interest rates, the minority children were made comments like, oh, that's too much money. One little uh, white boy he yelled out, oh, that's pocket change for my grandmother. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's it. That is the difference in what what white people teach their children and what we've been taught and what awesome. we continue to teach our children. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of, um, it, it was, um, I guess kind of a, a shock to my system to see it and live in color because you know it, you got you know it, but yeah. but to see it in the kids, it, it was like wow. Mm -hmm. So I, I was very intentional about trying to drop some nuggets for those brown children so that mm -hmm. they could rethink how they thought about money. But yeah. the boy, he was like, That's not enough money, that's pocket change. And, I think in the example was like $256,000. He was like, that's pocket change. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Very interesting to see that being played out in third through sixth. Yeah. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the truth is that's when we really should be introduced to money. You know, when you think about it, th think of us as adults. And a lot of things we do not even relating to money was something we picked up when we were a child, when we were children. You know, even if it went to the type of washing powder we use. Well, I saw my mama use it all the time. To, to, mm -hmm. We pick up things all the time. So when you think about the importance of money, how it's supposed to go from generation to generation, and most people don't even have a relationship with it until they become adults. Mm -hmm. So the time when our brain should be wrapping around money like the young little little you know caucasian boy evidently he's introduced to it's pocket change you adrian that could have been the first time they saw money they, that was that was probably the first time they saw six or seven digits crop go across a stage and their eyes were 
blown, but thank you for introducing it to kids. But when you think about that, y'all, our habits are developed as children, and these are concepts they don't teach us in school. Rule of 72 is something you learn third, sixth grade math. That's why they called it so fast, a simple, simple division. So that is a lot of the issue as well for us is that it wasn't introduced to us when our brains were sponges, and it came to us when we got our first paycheck, and we spent it. You know, we didn't know what to do with it. So yeah. that is a big issue right there for, for us as well. Thank you for bringing that up, Adrian, because that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Everyone does. Oh, oh, go ahead, Courtney. Go, go. No, you go ahead. No, go, girl. <laughs> okay. I was just going to say that, like, when I was in transition from moving from Kansas to St. Louis, um, I think money became, like, a big factor, like, in my life. Because, you know, it was the first time, like, you know, I had the lights go out or the heat was out and we had to heat up water on the stove or, you know, just I had to read books by in, in the daytime. And so when I was younger, I was like, OK, everybody just has to like live this way. Like, I guess this is just normal for me. And so then when I like started, like um, I grew up and I had a very diverse group of friends. And so like just talking to them about like some things are like, oh, we don't experience that or oh, you know, I get to go shopping like every two weeks or, oh, I get to do this. That's when I started thinking like, okay, like the way that I'm living currently or the way that my mother is, you know, providing for me is not the way that everyone else lives. It wasn't a wrong way, but, you know, there's a better life. And so then that's when I started to think of money more in terms of like, you know, what else could I be doing to better like my future and like myself and my like future kids and everything. And so it's like, I, Adrian, I, I love the way that you just brought up how like you're teaching younger kids this because that's what I want to do. I want to be able to help get to younger children and say like, hey, the way that you're living right now is not what you have to do. Like you can save more money. You can save it for things that you want to buy in the future. You can donate it to charity and um, those are just some of the, the bigger lessons that I've had to like learn myself. And I'm really happy that I was able to learn it at a younger age instead of getting all the way to college and kind of just blowing money like here and there. I absolutely love all of that. And Courtney, um, you know, one thing that I was thinking about when we were talking that you literally just hit on is why, yes, we are, we want to speak life into everybody and let, let everybody know that they have um, control of their money. But we also want to acknowledge that there are some situations we completely understand that's happening. We know that there are people out there struggling, our own. We know our own are struggling. We have family members. I, I'm sure nobody has to share a say, but we have family members where we like, if I had millions of dollars, I would probably help pull you out. Um, and so we're not saying that that does not exist. But what we are saying is that, um, you know, our decisions when it comes to money impacts us, it impacts our community, it impacts our legacy. And this concept, or I guess this behavior that we've had of going without, it really was forced upon us, right? When we've um, um, historically, and I do want to get into Black Wall Street next, you all, but this uh, concept of going without, that gets embedded in our generations to come. And so I just want to encourage those of you who are out there that are struggling, you know, um, we, we would like to share resources, especially in our Black Dark Couch podcast group. But if you are struggling and you're around kids, please feel empowered to not teach that struggle to the kids. 
you know, speak life into them. Uh, another definition of money, um, this is kind of how I dumbed down some economics classes that I took, but another definition of money is value. It's real value, right? If someone get, if you give $10 to someone and they give you an IOU, you can't go buy anything with that IOU. And that's credit. A lot of our society, we live off of credit. We can talk about that at, at you know, in a future time, future, future day, but money is value. And I do think that us going without as a community has caused us to mentally not understand that we are valuable, that we can and we do deserve value, right? Like what you were saying, Adrian, about that the the black child who was like, no, nah, that's too much money. Why? It's because they are they don't understand the concept of value and that we are deserving of that. And just to add on to that, too, I also think things have lines have gotten a little blurred, too, when it comes to, <clears throat> you know, don't teach the struggle, <clears throat> because I completely agree with don't teach the struggle. However, some of the um, tactics is why we're kind of where we're at, because when you think um, don't teach the struggle as um <clears throat> Courtney mentioned, or anyone, you know, if your family members or if you, I've experienced it my own self to where, you know, as a child, you may have to go without the amount of meals you're used to, or maybe the lights get cut off or things like that. So I do think that don't teach the struggle is connected to like keeping it a big secret. Like don't talk to your kids while the, the reason why this is happening or what's going on. Like, you know, you just do the best you can, you keep it all to yourself. And, um, so I most definitely have, you know, made it, um, made a decision to share with my children, like here, this is what's going on. You know, I've always had like a budget book and I will write down, you know, the bills that have to be paid, the money that's coming in. And I will show them that uh, one don't, don't match the other. <laughs> like, this is actually the amount of money that the bills are this month, but this is the amount of money that I'm working with. Um, so just so they'll know, that, you know, this is what what I'm doing. I'm making budgets. I'm, you know, I'm, um, we're going to miss, we're going to plan this for this week, plan this for that week. You know, you may be used to this, but we're going to hold off this week. And instead of, you know, I'm not teaching the struggle, I'm showing them this is, you know, what it is, but you can have this and more, you know, with just mm -hmm. sticking to a budget and also, you know, educating yourself and also making good choices and things like that but i do think growing up it was a big secret like i had no idea what was going on behind the scenes with money and why i couldn't have mcdonald's no i don't have mcdonald's money why don't you <laughs> so yeah you know you just you just hear your people say do you got mcdonald's money well i'm a kid why do i how do i have mcdonald's money but, but why would you have it <laughs> yes Yes. So can I can I piggyback off of uh, Nico? What was she saying about that? Um, so I come from like a different place. Like the I I I came from you know my parents were uh, middle class, upper middle class when I was growing up. Um, I I'm really terrible with money. <laughs> I learned though that's part of you know me having ADHD and you know forgetting stuff, not being able to plan long-term, all of that stuff comes into play with that. But I've always felt like I should have 
been able to be good at handling money. My mom was very frugal and she, she knows how to save, you know, she's like the most frugal person I've ever met in my life. And if it wasn't for her, they wouldn't have no money. Cause my daddy will spend money on everything. And I, and I feel like I picked up that habit from him. But one of the things like what Nico was saying is I, I didn't learn until I got out on my own and I started having my own struggles. I didn't go, you know, there were times where I had, you know, very little money and my daughter was really, really young. And I used to tell her like, oh, we can't get that today. You know, mama don't have the money or, you know, things like that. And my dad would always come to me and say, stop telling her all your business. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, how do you communicate to a child that you are you want to do these things for them but you're not in a position to you know if it was them they're like well you never knew if we had money you do our lights wasn't never off we always had food in the refrigerator yeah i understand that but that's not my situation and this is my child i'm trying to help her understand what's going on she's not dumb you know um but like nico said i never wanted her to have um, a poor, a negative idea around money. I mean, I feel like money has flowed to me. I mean, I, 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 I'm bad with saving money. I'm not gonna lie, I'm bad with planning for the future with money. But I hardly ever have any issues as far as providing for myself, buying things I want, doing things that I want. Um, you know, using that term, manifesting, manifesting the things, experiences that I want to have. So I don't. I, I'm, I'm good there. I need the help with the long-term planning, but how do you communicate to children when you are in these struggles to where they don't have a negative connotation of the lack that you're having at that moment and understand that it's just momentary and that it's not always going to be like that. I can't speak on actually like teaching children or anything, but to me, I also feel like that's part of like the perception that we have of money. Like, you know, we always want to perceive things to be great or good and grand and stuff. And in reality, I feel like that's not true. Like, I'm very thankful for my parents and, you know, especially my mom showing me that like, you know, there are some good times and there are some bad times because at the end of the day, like, you know, when I'm, fortunate enough to have children, when they grow up, I don't want them to go out in the world thinking that everything should be wonderful or everything should be great. You know, I'm really happy that I was able to experience those downsides because, you know, I feel like in life, it's just part of learning how to get over hurdles of, of, of things, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I, I guess for me, I would just say that, like, I think being able to show children that not everything is going to be flowers in the field or anything. I think that it's, it's, it's extremely important because when they do go off to college or, you know, if they don't go to college and just out in the real world, like how are they going to be able to handle like some of those things? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that also too, like goes down with like mental health and, and stuff like that. It's just like, I think that we all need to be exposed to the good and bad of everything because life isn't just going to be handed to us. I think one big problem is that a lot of adults discount children's intelligence because they're children and um, they don't understand how much kids actually understand. Yep. 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 
Adrian just talked about that with the rule of 72 and third graders knowing what's a lot of money, what's pocket change, but, but, and being able to grasp the concept. Right. 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 And I'm, oh, you go ahead, Adrian. Oh, I was going to um, speak to what Shonda said um, about how do we, it's a, it's a delicate balance in when teaching kids about money and not passing on that struggle. Um, I agree with Courtney that they definitely need to know that struggle is real and that it is part of life. But I think um, as Janine spoke about, like we, our ancestors historically have not been taught how to manage money so we can't um teach what we don't have you can't give what you don't have and so as we collectively start to become enlightened and become aware then we can teach our kids and, and pass down new lessons and and not forgetting the past not forgetting the history and that this is where we came from but also this is what's available to us as well so it's it's a balance of mm -hmm. being real about what the experience is, but then also um, as you learn, you pass it on. You, you teach it as you learn it. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then the next generation has it, and so then they can pass it on, and so we can start to make changes in that those family trees and our family trees and the legacy yeah. that we have. I agree. And I want to add on and build on that, you know, for example, maybe you can switch it up. Like, I mean, like Adrian, sorry, I was about to call you Miss Adrian. Like Adrian was saying, you can switch it up, Shonda. Maybe one time you do just say, hey, we don't have it right now. But there's also the opportunity to start teaching the concept of saving teaching the concept of, you know, okay, do you want to have money for this you know, in the future and not not even saying that you have to promise that, but teaching the concept of let's wait for now, because if we get everything that we want when we want it now, we won't be able to do it in the future and starting to have that opportunity to to really say, um, I guess it's OK to not have without and to start tearing down this notion of const I mean immediate gratification because we want everything right now. And I, I personally think that our community is maybe one of the, the ones that's worse at that. We want everything right now. We need to be flashy right now. We need to have quick money right now. Um there could be a number of reasons why that's the case, but I, I think that you could also use it as an opportunity to start changing that generational behavior that's been going on in our community. I, I want to make one comment on that. Um, somebody asked me once upon a time, what is the hardest thing um, that I have ever done, you know, in my life? And the truth is, the hardest thing is being a parent, um, you know, ra raising children, responding appropriately, responding the correct way, trying to keep your emotions together and, you know, and 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 teaching, you know, we, we, we have to be good steward stewards of our children. And that's hard. 
you know that, that that's hard especially yeah. when it comes to money and and things are crumbling around you or your lights are off and mm -hmm. and at the same time when you're having an emotional breakdown about your money you gotta still you know look a certain way you gotta come across a certain way to to the kids and mm -hmm. still be strong and it reminded me real quick of a situation i had um, back in 2011 when I was dealing with mental illness and, and got sick and, and couldn't work for a year. And my lights got cut off several times. And can you imagine being mentally ill, going through some things, and now you got five children looking at you, lights are off. You know, what do you do? And you still have to think about them. And I remember times where I would stay at the library all day. They didn't know the license officer at the library all day. And we're watching books, reading things, looking at stuff. And then we come home and we got a Simon Says that lights up, you know, the toy that lights up. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go home and camp out. So I'm knowing the lights out, but I had to still try to be strong to tell them that, oh, we're just going to go home and have a fun time until we fall asleep. And you know, that's hard as a parent, you know, to know that you worked all that time. You can't work. You had no money saved. How do you, you know, how do you do that kind of stuff? And, then, and I think that's very important that people have to learn how to do is how do we, you know, control ourselves when stuff is falling short? What do the children see? How do you relate that to them? Because they, they pick up on all of that and it could be good for them or bad for them. You know? mm -hmm. All right. That got kind of heavy. So we're going to take a commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors. What's good? This is Jazz from 64111 Studio. Make sure you holler at me for all your mixing, mastering, and recording needs. For booking, please visit www.64111studio.com. Juneteenth, 2023. Angela Marie Publishing will be in Kansas City, Missouri at the Heritage Festival in the Historic Vine District. Saturday, June 17th from noon to 10 p.m. Visit our booth at 18th and Vine for exclusive Juneteenth pricing and deals on all AMP products and merch. Featuring paperback books from the Art of Cheating episode. The full lineup of the Healing Collection, brought to you by the Blacked Out Couch Podcast. The I Am series, featuring the limited edition I Am Pretty shirt. And a special Juneteenth 2023 version of the I Am Prosperous Tea. Saturday, June 17th from noon to 10. Historic Jazz District on the Vine. Come out and support Black Heritage and Freedom with Angela Marie Publishing. Bringing words to life. the stigma associated with mental health by promoting awareness of mental illness, its symptoms, and providing resources for those in need. We believe that through trust, relationships, understanding, service, and teamwork, transformation is possible. Support the Men Heal movement by donating to the cash app handle LiftedKCOrg. For more information about our organization, visit www.liftedkc.org. 
Uplifted KC, transforming lives through hope and healing. Okay, coming back to the couch, I do want to take a moment to stop and honor all of the Black parents out there, uh, all of the parents in general, especially if you have been struggling or going through hard times. Keep going. We want to motivate you. We want to say that you're doing a great job and we're not here to overly criticize. We're, we're really here to speak life into you and to really empower you to be able to, if not take control of your situation immediately, encourage the future and encourage the legacy to flourish. So thank you, ladies, for guiding us, guiding us through that part of the conversation. However, I do really want to get to what we promised and had alluded to in the previous episode, which is showcasing Changing Lives Financially, the organization that Adrian is a part of. And actually, I, I do realize that we did not get an introduction from you earlier in the show. So why don't you go ahead and do that for us now? Um, and then if you can tell us a little bit, too, about how you are connected with Janine, who is also a part of Changing Lives Financially, that would be awesome. Okay. Well, um, I thank you for, for having me and allowing me to uh, speak on your platform. I think this is such an important um, topic to be talking about because for so long, too long, it's been uh, taboo to talk about mental health and, and mental illness. And so um, it's especially important to me because I grew up with a family member um, who has mental illness. And so I've watched the struggles that they've had throughout my lifetime. Um, and that was uh, sparked a, from an early age, it sparked an interest in me in mental health. And so I actually am, um, I have a degree in, um, I have a master's degree in social work with the emphasis in mental health and um, worked in the mental health arena as a therapist for over 20 years. And so that's a, a, a special a special topic for me. Uh, and so more recently, I um, have was introduced to our company and um, was able to be connected with Janine, who is the broker that I work with. And she's an amazing woman um, that has an incredible story and, and definitely is a, a woman that is, um, when we talk about a strong Black woman, she is a woman with, um, with many strengths. So I admire her in so many ways. Um, but through my, my journey of learning about finances and fi learning financial literacy, that's like a buzzword now, um, it made me question how I could marry the two, how I could make the transition and kind of use some of the skills that I've learned in, um, in helping people through mental health, but also now finding a way to help them in um, in their finances because mental wellness is very connected to your your finances and, and how well you are doing, how well you're managing or able to manage and thrive in your finances. There's a correlation there. So um, I am um, I'm a licensed life insurance agent. I'm also licensed in investments and securities. Um, and I'm a mortgage um, loan originator. So I 
look at how we can assess a, a person now from a holistic perspective and um, provide them with solutions to address the different areas in their finances. And so um, Princess had an opportunity to experience one of those assessments. And so I think we're going to give um, a partial demonstration of what that might look like. Yes. Yes, we will. And right before we get to that, actually, I do want to give Janine a minute to just add anything additionally that she would want to add as well about changes lives financially. And also, if you will be so willing, can you explain to us this rule of 72? We've been dropping it, but, but can you get us all on the same page? <laughs> the rule of 72, honey, is a powerful thing. Einstein, Einstein said that it should have been the eight eight wonder of the world, okay? Uh, but uh, I'll get into it, but just to kind of piggyback on off of uh, Adrian, uh, I've kind of had the same story, but I used to be a school teacher. And, and like I mentioned before, I, I had um, a mental health situation because I um, you know, went to college and, and got uh, master degrees in agriculture economics, had a lot of science background, came to teach school, but didn't have the teacher background. I had to go to school, be a full-time teacher, full-time mom, uh, you know, college full time just to catch up with being a teacher. And then I got another master's while doing that. So I struggled big time just trying to uh, carry all the weight that a parent, a single parent, you know, had to had to carry. And uh, it brought on mental illness. One day I was fine. The next day I was not great at all, completely different person. And I had to go sick leave for an entire year. And I was introduced to uh, to the concept because the thing that happened to me, I saw money as scared as being scarce then. I made about fifty thousand dollars a year, but I still needed assistance because there wasn't enough money for the size of my household. But I always looked at it like that: not enough money. I need help. I need help. But the reality was was when I got sick and couldn't work, did I identify immediately that when I can't hit the clock, my cash flow stops. And the second thing that hit, hit me was, well, I saw 50000 a year as not enough money, but the reality of it was I had taught school at 10 years at that time. I had at least touched a half a million dollars, and I didn't have a dollar to show for either. So it got bad before it got worse. And so I was introduced uh, to start into the business just simply by me needing somebody to help me with where I was at. And um, I, I thought it was an amazing time for me to do something. I had to figure out something to do. So I wanted to teach people while I was learning what I was doing. And I pretty much uh, learned immediately the difference on how you make money as an entrepreneur than when you made money as an employee. And I continued to work on it that year I was uh, out off of work. I never went back. And I pretty much evolved into uh not only teaching people, but teaching people how to teach people, teaching people how to be entrepreneurs, how to be independent contractors, how to work for profit and not, you know, by the hour. And I eventually built built the brokerage, which that's how I ended up, you know, uh, meeting uh, Adrian. And now Adrian works with me as well. And so as I was telling that part about money, this is where the rule of 72 bridges in. OK, because when we earn money, we have to understand that money is designed to work for us. So if we like I was taught when I was growing up, when you go get a good job, you make sure you pay your bills. So that's all I knew was, hey, if you get debt, 
pay it. If you know, so I was taught good morals in what to do with my check to pay somebody else, but I was not taught what to do with money when it came to my own self and what I wanted in the future. And so the concept to wealth is simply however amount of money you make, you take 10% of whatever your paycheck is. If it's a thousand, take 10, take, take a hundred. If it's 2000, take 200. And when you start immediately making money, your first paycheck, Okay, so some of us first paycheck 16 years old, 18 years old, we get out of college 22 years old. That's the key to wealth. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter whether you make a lot or not. If you make $25,000 a year at the age of 25 and you made that $25,000 a year up until you were 65, or 40 years, you're going to make a million dollars in 40 years. If you took 10% of it and utilized the rule of 72, that 10% is designed to make that million back for you so you can have the same lifestyle at retirement. The million you lived off of for 40 years should be a million you lived off the rest of your life when you decide not to work. So a lot of people don't understand what financial independence is. It's not, oh, I make half a million dollars now and I can buy what I want. No, financial independence is when I have a lump sum of money that can passively come in or another means of money that passively come in that would take care of me so I don't have to hit the clock so I can do whatever I want to do. And most people get wealth or wealth and rich mixed up. Wealth is passively. Rich is I'm making it now. But if I can't hit the clock, my cash flow stops. And so that's where the rule of 70 com 72 comes in with that small percentage of your money. You have to systematically pay yourself just like you systematically pay your bills over a period of time. So what the rule of 72 tells us that whatever the interest rate is, wherever we put our money determines how fast your money compound. And I know Princess mentioned earlier about inflation and all those other things that hit. Most people don't think about inflation. Most people don't think about what the cost of living is going to be when I get ready to live. I mean, when I get ready to retire. Yeah, I might be living decently off of 60 70,000 right now but what is that going to look like 30 years from now if the price goes up and inflation is is crazy right now right so you have to understand that your money has to compound you have to learn how to invest and so the rule of 72 tells you that wherever your money is the interest rate and when i say wherever your money is whether it's in the bank whether it's in a 401k whether it's under your pillow, wherever it is in a Roth IRA, the interest rate is so important because it determines how hard your money works for you. So the rule of 72 says you take that interest rate, you divide it into the num number 72, and that tells you how many years it takes your money to compound. So remember a key part that I said, most people don't start thinking about saving money for retirement until they're over 40. You know, kind of the term or over 51 when we say we over the hill. But the truth is we're supposed to be putting away money when we under the hill. OK, when we first start making money because compound interest and time is the key to wealth. That's the only way a person making twenty five thousand dollars can be a millionaire. It was about the time and the interest rate. OK, you can't wait till you 10, 15 years from retirement. You have to do it when you got at least a good 40 years. So if you were getting three percent interest on your money, you take the three, divide into 72 and you get 24. That means it would take 24 years for your money to double. So if you had $10,000, it would take 24 years before you had 20000 And if we work 40, 48 years, your money only going to double twice. That's not enough money to live off of. 
But when you think about things like 12%, 12 divides into 72 six times. That means your money will double every six years. So if you started with 10,000, six years later, you have 20. Six more years later, you have 40. The Six more years, you have 80. So within a 48-year period, we're looking at $2.5 million because this whole amount is compounding. The more it builds, the more it compounds. The average person, all that we're in, all that we know is the banks. The banks tell us, oh, you can get some high interest, but the banks give an average of 0.05. So if you take 0.05 and divide that into 72, you're going to get 1,440. Now, unless you Moses or somebody like that, I don't know if they get to the thousand. <laughs> but your you would never see your money double. Okay, but the banks are the number one investors in the market. So you have to understand that the market is your friend. You just have to learn how to uh, invest logically, not emotionally, and understand that the rule of 72 is your friend. And you also have to understand that the industry knows the rule of 72, and we don't, because that's how they make money. That's the same formula when we owe money. So the average credit card is in the 20%. So if 12% double every six years, 20 or 21 is doubling all around every three years that you owe to the debt collector. So we find ourselves in this, this debt cycle. Same with insurance. That same rule of 72 is the reason why insurance agents tell you to buy cash value insurance because they want you to put your savings account inside of your policy. And that is a no-no because once you put your money in there, they use the overflow of money to invest and make money. And then they charge you interest to borrow your own money. And now yes. you're caught up in a cycle because they said, oh, you can borrow money. Why do I want to borrow from myself? Yes, I need so you said. You know, you that's going to grow for me so I can get out of the need of the insurance. Mm -hmm. So we got to understand the power of the rule of 72. When we know it, it's our best friend. When we don't, it's used against us. But you have to understand the rule of 72. You have to get comfortable with investing because you have to get to a point in your life to be financially independent. And that's what your money would do for you when it works for you while you're working for it. You said so much. <laughs> and I feel like I need to unpack. <laughs> now we have unpacking episodes that's meant for this on Clubhouse uh, after every episode, the week after every episode. So y'all join us next week. But I, I do need to connect some dots. So first of all, what I heard you say was that we need to get comfortable with paying ourselves. Ms. Nico said that earlier. We get our yes. paychecks and we are so quick to go funnel that out to everyone else. We are one of the largest consumers. Juneteenth, everybody decided, let me make sure I got some black friendly movements and advertisements and products so we can make sure we still getting that money because they're making us rich. Uh, mm -hmm. So we need to make sure we are doing our part and paying ourselves it's okay to go without that coach purse i had some i had some learn. y'all used to buy coach purses every year last year was the first year i didn't buy no coach purse because i'm trying to learn and i i work in investments i've been in investments for eight years and i'm still learning how to take care of future self by putting money away now yeah and if i want to know where to park that money 
I can use rule of 72 as well as partnering with individuals who are familiar with investments or familiar with different rates of return, such as Janine and Adrian, to learn how can I put my money somewhere that's not going to take over a thousand years to double, right? That's it. That's it. Okay. That's it. And I love how we are teaching each other to, to, um, and like how to be stronger financially and to stop having these secrets. It's okay to talk about and advise us one to another, how we can do better. You know, um, thinking back on black wall street, there would not have been a black wall street if it wasn't for a very resourceful man willing to give access willing to give land to black people by shopping, you know, to create a district where we can support and uplift one another. I believe it was O.W. Gurley, somebody fact check me if, if I'm off here, but he was the one who bought all this land. He was very wealthy. And instead of just using that wealthy to make other communities wealthy, he used that, that wealth to, to create um, a district within Oklahoma, I believe, for black people, <laughs> right? That was that was where the most recent Black Wall Street was to date. We we have not had another one really replicated. Some say Atlanta is, but it's a little different um, because the way that they supported one another, the way that they shot together, the way that they entrusted each other to build this community and really started to create wealth and to see each other happy and to not be competing with one another was super important. And we have to get back to that. That was taken away from us when uh, we had the massacre. And I would encourage everyone when you're searching, you know, if you're Googling Black Wall Street, don't Google just Black Wall Street because the massacre is the only thing that's going to come up. You yep. have to Google things like businesses of Black Wall Street who like add more to the search. Otherwise, the system has been designed to purposefully downplay one of our strongest cornerstones in our history. Yeah. So just a little a little note there, but thank you, Janina, Adrian, for telling us how we can start controlling our money and being feeling comfortable to have financial partners where it's okay to say, hey, I need some help with my money. Because some houses you can't tell nobody about how to run their money. And that's one of the first signs of failure. Um, so I actually want to move on so that we can, I'm looking at the time, like we've been talking. I do want to get to the quick demo. So one thing that Miss um, Janine said that, that really uh, stuck with me was the, the insurance conversation and how I, for, I call it whole life insurance. I, I don't know if that's a technical term, but a lot of people, and I was one um, particularly who was so interested in getting this whole life insurance plan because, oh my goodness, not only is it insurance policy, but it's also helping me save. Um, and it was actually Adrian who said, well, wait a minute. If you look at that increase in premium between how much it costs to get a term policy and a whole life policy, uh, that might not be the best way to put that increase in money to use. You might want to take that and park that somewhere else. And that's the type of advice that I got when I did my uh, complimentary assessment. So I would like to share the results uh, from my assessment and maybe we can focus on one or two areas that's pretty common in the black community and then end with some advisement on what we can do and to encourage one another and, and really take control of our money. If that works for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds awesome. good.
Great. Um, so I went through a roughly three to five minute questionnaire that Adrian provided me complimentary and I really appreciated that. Um, and it asks various different questions over almost every single aspect of my life. So I am an entrepreneur. Um, it, it definitely asks about that. It asks questions about um, my my post-death plans, if I have a will, life insurance. Um, it does ask questions about identity, what my goals are in terms of buying a home, property. It literally was a full cover assessment. So I would recommend everyone do this. But specifically, um, I wanted to talk about my alerts that I got, that I got after I went through. And my understanding of an alert is an area that I really should be consulted on. Um, maybe I'll, I'll take a pause and see Adrian, Janine, did I get that correct? What's an alert when we do this? So um, an alert, when you do an assessment, when you complete the assessment, it is um, it shows talking points, areas of your finances that you may need to pay some attention to that may need some uh, need addressing. And so, um, again, it's, it's customized to a person depending on how they answer the questions. And so based on your answers, you get a list of these particular alerts that will, will tell you, um, alert you that these are areas that you need to look at in your finances and, and pay some attention to. Okay, good. I'm sorry. I thought someone was about to say something. That's perfect. And so a lot of my alerts, oh, well, I guess I can't say a lot. I'll say I have a breadth of alerts from looking into getting a will, uh, to identity theft protection, making sure that I am paying a, a good or reasonable amount for auto and home insurance, a plethora of things. But maybe if we can focus on um, one or two general areas for for the audience here. One is going to be the concept of, of will and maybe even preparing for, um, you know, death, burial. We, we, we do experience that a lot in our community, not only for us, but for our loved ones, if we can hit on that a little bit and then also talk a bit about, uh, since we're on the heels of Juneteenth, talk about supporting Black businesses and things that Black businesses can do to protect themselves. I got a recommendation to potentially buy sell insurance, which may or may not be uh relevant for business owners. So maybe taking a step back, the concept of a will and why it's important. Do you want to go through that, uh, Janine, and, and maybe give us a little bit of pointers on that? And, you know, death insurance, I know you also mentioned a concept called burial insurance. I think I just called it death insurance, burial insurance. Maybe if you want to hit on some of those things, that'd be great. Janine or me? I was going to say Janine, but you can go in as well, Adrian, and we can edit that out. Let Janine go. Okay. Well, Adrian, I'll, I'll just talk about a few, and you can jump in and talk about a few. So um, I'll, I'll talk about the wheel first because, um, you know, we can even look currently at, at a lot of celebrities that have passed away and uh, who have a lot of wealth, and um, they, don't have, they don't have it legalized where that wealth goes to. And uh, that is so important. But a will pay, plays another role as well, especially when you have young children. You know, will is very important when you have young children because if you pass away, you know, unexpectedly, and uh, you just assume your child is going to be in good hands, uh, the 
the, the courts can override and place that child wherever they need it to be if you don't legalize where it should be. So you never want to not have a will when you have minor children, but then it's other reasons why you have a will in place to, uh, you know, the time of probate is ridiculous. When you don't have your things designated, that means that the, the court has to figure those things out. It could be a couple of years before that happens for your family. Uh, you can get sick and uh, someone needs to make a medical decision for you. No one is designated for that. You can run a business. You need to have that, you know, um, itemized on how you want that to run if you leave that behind. So it's a lot of reasons to have a will. But I do want to go a little further and say how I recommend trust because trust is solid is more solid because a will can still be contested you know they can still go go to court over it if they want to but no one can touch decisions that are made in a trust but the bottom line is that it's important for us as a people to know that we need to still have things legalized believe it or not a lot of families cut up when you pass away siblings fall out all kind of stuff you know over over things you left behind so you can you know reduce all of that kind of stress for the family and have those things uh pretty much uh already you know written in, in in stone by you before anything could happen so that's why that's important for everyone to have to have a will that is most definitely a very important thing to have all your things legalized um what was another one because I, I can't see the the screen anymore oh no worries but uh actually one other question that i have instead of going to what was on the screen was going to be what is death insurance actually so we do talk about will not death insurance i keep calling it death insurance i think it was burial insurance was that the appropriate term pardon me y'all don't listen to me i don't know what i'm talking about no <laughs> Well, you, um, know, you said that correctly, believe okay. it or not, because people think of life insurance as related to death, and it's more than that. Okay, life insurance is about the protection of the livelihood that you are providing for your family in case you passed away mm -hmm. too soon. So most people think of life insurance as something they're supposed to have their whole life until they die to pay for a funeral. That's what a burial plan is. See, the truth is we all know when we come into this world, but we don't know when we're going out. So if you died too soon before you knew you was dying and took care of your final expenses through a burial plan, life insurance can step in and take care of that. But it takes care of way more than that. We call it a dime assessment. It's four main components that life insurance is supposed to cover for a period of time because you passed away before you handled those things. Does that make sense? Life insurance is solely about the money you make. Just like we protect our cars, we protect our homes, we protect our cell phones, but we don't protect the millions of dollars we make over a 40 year period. Think about it, 25,000 a year, that's a million dollars. People make way more than that. The average is twice that much, right? So if a person made $50,000, they're gonna make $2 million in their lifetime of working and we don't put insurance on our money for our family. So it's four components that life insurance is, is supposed to protect. It's called the DIME assessment, D-I-M-E. D represents not debt, debt, okay? So the reason why I wanna emphasize on that is because if you owe credit card bills, the minute you die, the, the person who they put on there to reach out in case of an emergency, oh, that's an emergency because they still want their money. So they're coming out to your family for their money. The death of you falls under debt because if you were not prepared to die, 
that funeral becomes an immediate debt for your family. So a burial, the amount of the burial falls under the day of debt if you have not prepared for the final expense already, because you can prepare that. Most people should, because we all know we're going to die. It's normal to die at an old age. It's just not normal to die when we're young and have a lot of financial responsibilities. The next most important is the I, which is your income. When you have a spouse or you have children, depending on your income, uh, you need at least 10 times the amount of money you make. If you make 50000 a year, you need a half a million dollars, 10 times. And most people say, oh my God, that's a lot of money. Well, if you were alive and you worked 10 years making $50,000 a year, you're going to bring in a half a million dollars to your family. That is not a lot of money. They just got it in a lump sum so that they don't lose the livelihood that you were providing through your income. That is so, so important. I mean, the average it costs to raise a child from zero to 18, if you count everything, is a half a million dollars. You know, so that is important to have 10 times your income. And that's where the rule of 72 comes in. Because if you leave 10 times your income, that person takes that lump sum, they invest it, they get 10%. That money will earn $50,000 a year. What is the $50,000 a year? Your income. So that lump sum of money will provide the interest from that money, your income to your family for generations. Because if you don't touch the big lump sum and only the interest, that'll go on to your children's children. So you got to understand life insurance is a generational wealth too. The M represent mortgage. So if a person says, I want to leave the, the remaining of my mortgage behind because that's one of the biggest purchases I will ever make. And I don't want my family to lose that. I want that asset to go from generation to generation. You should add the remaining amount of your uh, mortgage. And then the E represents educational funding for your children. You want your kids to go on to get higher education and you do not want them to fall into one of the worst traps they can. Like I did 18 years old in college was debt with credit cards and loans. You leave the money behind for that. The M and the E, I always say it's optional especially when you leave the income, but that D and that I is the major components of that dime assessment. And your insurance needs should be uh, in an assessment that tells you the value of that. And then you know at least the amount that your income is responsible for, for the livelihood of your family. And then you can protect that accordingly. And when you buy term, meaning strictly straight insurance for the period of time it takes you to pay the mortgage the period of time it takes you to get retirement the period of time it takes you to do anything you know the insurance is cheaper and you put the insurance in a contract where it goes and then you put your investments in an account where it goes that is so important that you do that you never want to buy cash value insurance which is whole life universal life indexing you want straight insurance Thank you. Gems, just dropping gems. Yeah. <laughs> just because I've never heard of that dying assessment. And that's great rules of thumb. Well, I'm going to say this real quick. And the reason why it's, it's not talked about a lot, because the most purchased insurance is cash value whole life. And now you got the, you know, be your own bank kind of concept because of the money that's made in it on the rule of 72. And once upon a time back in the day, I, I wish I knew the, the, the year and everything, but uh, insurance fell under a, a discriminatory situation because they were only selling cash value to African-Americans. 
which means that it's higher price where you're not buying enough if you pass away you bought enough for a funeral but you didn't leave your income behind and so most people have that and they teach it to you that you want to have a component to borrow from think about it it's easy to talk to someone who don't have money saved to tell them you got a cushion to borrow from something not knowing that's the worst mistake you can make because you're overpaying three times more than what something actually costs. And if you took that three times more and put it appropriately where it needed to go in the account where you were getting, you know, profit from the rule of 72 and not the company, you'll grow out of the need of needing something that was never designed for old people. Because if you are older and you're buying insurance, what, the, what does it cost? More. It's not designed for old people. Because it's normal. No insurance is is designed for anything that happens to us on a normal basis. We don't buy uh, car insurance to just normally drive around and, and drive around record-free, wreck-free. No, we buy it if we have a wreck. It's all based upon a risk happening. It's not a risk to die when we're old. It's a risk to die when I'm young. So we grow out of the need of insurance, just like we grow out of the need of having full coverage on our car when we pay the bill off. So all insurance works exactly like that. Mm -hmm. You never want a product that wasn't designed for you at a certain time of your life. You grow out of that when your money grows through the rule of 72. But if you're putting it somewhere where it's not going for you, you're going to always be dependent on that product that makes a lot of money for the company. Yes, yes. I thought that was so important to learn. I got two, yeah, two questions, Janine. One, yeah, one is, is universal a mixture of term and whole? Or what is universal? Very good question, uh, Nico. So what universal is, so when you think about um, whole life, whole life is a savings component, but it's just kind of considered a savings component that's drawing you interest. But when you start talking about universal life, they are using universal life as an account that's associated with the market. So they're telling you you are investing in indexes. They don't tell you that in, in whole life. They're going to give you some of the profit. But in that, they're saying you're investing in this index and you don't have to worry about the market going up and down. It's a bigger protection. It's tax. This is, you know, they, so the wordplay is amazing. But that's the difference is that it's in the market and it's supposed to be protected more. But you have to really think about that. And some of them I've looked at. The index don't even exist. I've looked up some of the, and I'm like, this is not even an, an index because, you know, I am investment license. I have access mm -hmm. to Morningstar and all that stuff. You can't even find the index. And they know that a lot of people don't understand that, but it sounds good. They also say things like you can put it in there and um, you can hide from taxes and different things like that. But what you have to realize the reason why that is being said, because it's no taxes on a loan. So the minute you put your money into a contract like that, because life insurance is state regulated. OK, so follow me on this. A life insurance contract, all life insurance contracts are regulated by the state that you're in. Arkansas work one way. Texas work one way. Missouri work one way. They're all regulated by their state. But when you think about money like the bank and investments, they're regulated on a federal level. So when you combine though that money into that state contract, where are the regulators to slap their hands to say you can't do that to that person? It's not there. So you never put your money inside of a contract that the money is not regulated. So they can tell you whatever they want to tell you 
about how that money side worked and how it's growing or if you borrow from i mean why will i want to hide my money in there from taxes when i gotta pay you interest i'd rather I'd rather pay taxes than give you interest on something that was already mine and knowing that the fact that when I die, I don't get both. I'm paying for both, but I only get one. So if I pull from the money, you're going to charge me interest on my money. I'm continuing to overpay. You're making money off of it when you overpay because when you sell term insurance, you get paid once for the work you did. When you sell cash value, you get paid month after month because of the overpayment. The interest of the money that it's making, that's a new payment every month, not the one for doing the work. So the agent makes a lot of money, but you're losing out because your money is in a contract that is not being regulated. They say it's in indexes. They say it's making this, but the fees are crazy. You're paying interest. And then if you pass away, your family will get the death benefit, but not the money part. And if you touch the money part. They subtract what you touch from the money, keep the change, and then deduct that from what goes to the family. Wow. So it's it's a big manipulation of money, but the word sounds good. Okay, I had it before. It sounds good, but that goes back, I think, to what Adrian was saying as well. How can we do something about something we don't know? You know, so it sounds good to be your own bank, but you're not being your own bank because I can't go to my life insurance policy and say, give me a quarter of a million dollars to buy a house if I didn't put a quarter million dollars there. The whole concept of the bank is give me some money that's not mine. I don't want that's my, you know, so that's not being your own bank, you know, but the thought of it. You know, and they tell stories about what the Rockefellers did, but who got Rockefeller money to put all that money into a policy? No one Ask that to waste. So we have to first understand how those contracts go. So that was a very good question, Nico. But you never put where what the federal is supposed to regulate into something that the state is regulating. It's kind of like my shirt and my pants is an outfit. But if I put my pants on my top and my and my shirt on my bottom, some gonna be exposed, <laughs> right? Some gonna be hanging out somewhere. So <laughs> So you're going to lose something, you know, something is not going to be right. So you separate them out. And right. It's not a whole life thing. It's not for borrowing money. Your money goes in a, in a money contract and your insurance goes in an insurance contract. And in, in insurance, it's not an investment. It's month to month. Yeah. When you at the end of the term, you don't get no money back. Just like you don't get no money back if you don't have a car wreck. It's month to month. It is insurance. It is not an investment. And that's what we, we have to understand. Yeah. The second question is, is just straightforward. You know, you are my person. So I just want to see if we can meet up so I can go over what I do have that I've had with you for years. But I uh, just want to just good to see you and just want to meet up with you so I can just kind of go over what I do have, even though it's with you. But <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Let's do it. <laughs> I love that. OK, see, this is. This is already y'all from the couch to the rest of the world. I am follow her Sue. <laughs> follow Sue. Get you a person. Get a financial partner. If you do not have one, we can definitely include how to get in contact with Janine and Adrian from Changing Lives Financially. Thank you, Nico, for rooting us back in that and being an example for all of us. But before we go, Adrian, I do want to hear from you in terms of, I mean, we are on the heels of Juneteenth. So I would love to hear from you um, and, and allow you to compliment Janine. But talking about the business side, what can business owners do um, 
to protect themselves? And then also, why should we support our own? Um, you know, give us some thoughts there. Okay. So I think um, in terms of business owners, um, especially particularly um, small business owners, because often larger businesses have um, access, there's that word, access to to uh, resources, but um, having their having these kinds of assessments done and knowing that there are um, resources available for them to start in, investing um, resources in terms of like 401ks and, and solo um, 401ks. There's the, the SEP and the, the, the simple um, IRAs that are available that they may not be aware of are available for, for business owners to, to um, start getting in the market and being able to invest. So I think that's an important piece of it. Um, I think it's important too for business owners. Um, when Janine's talking about life insurance, a lot of times uh, we might have group insurance through our employers and that group insurance often has clauses in it. And those clauses will say something to the effect of you're covered while you're actively working, which means while you're working during your shift. So if you die after hours on weekends or on vacation or heaven forbid, uh, we've had examples of people who went to the hospital and, and passed away in the hospital, they weren't covered by their work insurance. So Janine talked about being exposed and that there's gaps um, in that kind of coverage. So employers, small business owners need to know uh, know that as well when they're looking at benefits to, to um, cover and offer to their employees as well as themselves. Um, the buy-sell agreements, we kind of talked about that. That's another yes. aspect of, of life insurance. So with, with the buy-sell um, agreement, if there's business owner and, and there's partners, more than one partner, if um, the business owner one of them passes away, then the other business owner is left to then work with potentially the spouse of of the the, the partner that passed away. So having a buy sell agreement allows that business owner to to buy out the spouse so that they can run the business themselves because they may not want to work with the, the spouse. They may the spouse may not even know anything about the business. Um, and so that's a, a, a added protection for the, the business owners when there's partners involved. So there's um, a lot of um, things to consider um, as a, a business owner. Uh, again, going back to investments, I was just thinking those retirement accounts, some of them can offer um, tax advantages um, and help them potentially save on the taxes. I'm not a tax person, but... Um, but I, I, we do know enough that we can offer um, some advice in, in terms of helping them to look at solutions when they're looking to save taxes and then they consult with their tax professional. So um, there are resources available for those smaller businesses, especially that they may not think that, that there are um, those kinds of things available for them. Um, so I think that answers um that question, I think. Yeah, that's perfect. 
I love all of that. And small business owners, as you're growing, um, and even from the start, make sure that you're looking for different ways to protect yourselves, but also making sure that you're providing good benefits to your employees, because as entrepreneurs, you are creating opportunities for families to support their households. Um, I guess, speaking of support, why don't we hear from everybody? Uh, why, why is it so important to support Black-owned businesses? We have Juneteenth that's right around the corner, uh, really celebrating the fact that we are liberated. We are making progress as a community. Why do we support our own? Um, and maybe say something encouraging to, to help lift us up as we wrap up for this episode. I guess I'll go first. <laughs> um, I think it's important to um, to support uh, uh, black owned businesses and um, businesses in in our community because um, one, of course, it helps keep the wealth in our communities, um, and it will help us grow. And again, um, hopefully, you know, get rid of that whole competing thing once, you know, people can see that, you know, there's enough out here for everybody. So that's my idea. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, I'll go after, after Shonda. Uh, I want to read this little thing I, I, I looked up right here. It says that... Uh, the it is approximately 28 days that a dollar circulates in the Asian community, 19 days in the Jewish community, 17 days in the white community, six hours in the black community. Mm. Now, Nico already mentioned that you know we are the number one consumer with some 40 something million that we spend, and that is a relation to the dollars that come out of us in six hours because those other individuals are the business owners. They they are the majority of people who are business owners in, in our country. And so when we have African-Americans entrepreneurs, because entrepreneurship is not easy, uh, but it is something that is necessary. I am so for entrepreneurs because I feel that if you can work for someone else to build their dreams, you can work for yours. You might not have been taught. We have been programmed once again, to build for someone else. But if you can build for someone else, you can build for yourself. And when we take that dollar, we go to those other places and we're spending that money and we're not circulating in our community, especially for those who are trying, you know, because I, I have to say, you hear all the time, I don't want to spend with nobody black. They got this or they got that. Well, I've seen other coaches who got bad attitudes. I, you can't even go into an Asian shop without them walking around following you thinking you finna steal and we still go back every day you know so we we also gotta shake that and give each other a chance because it's a lot you have to learn to be an entrepreneur you gotta learn customer service you gotta learn how to do all these things and we have to have some kind of grace with one another when we are at least trying so i'm so for helping uh our community you know encouraging uh us to to spend more with them juneteenth is coming up you know that's that's our true celebration and we have to learn number one to start supporting each other i don't care if you went and bought a pen that had a rose on the top that somebody's trying to to put together we we, we have to start supporting 
each other because our dollars are moving out of our communities and it's hurting us and it's going to continue to hurt us in the long term. And the last thing I want to leave with is, is as far as entrepreneurship. Yes, it's tough, but you have to do understand that it is the way that our country is designed. The lack of entrepreneurship has a lot to do with the wealth gap as well, because when you think about it, it's only what one to three percent of people consider wealthy. That's where the that's where the the entrepreneurs lie. The rest of the 97, 99 percent of the population were working for wages, not for profit. OK, so when you're not working to earn the profit, which is basically the value of your work, it keeps that small amount of people wealthy. And the United States is a capitalism country, okay? And capitalism is only the opposite of corporate. Corporate means the government is involved in your money. You're going to be taxed for every dollar you make because you went to someone else for an opportunity. And the person who you went to for the opportunity, the 1% to 3% of entrepreneurs, get the tax breaks. And if we don't understand the country we live in and how we're earning money in the country we live in, we're going to be always caught in what they call the rat race because we're not earning money according to the favor of the country. And you see them talk about the guy who do uh, run Amazon and we even hear them talk about Trump and, and their tax situation. They make so much money, but they don't, you know, pay tax. Well, they make money in the system that the country is designed in. That's why they don't have a lot of taxes because they provide opportunities for people who are not providing opportunity for themselves. And if you're breathing air in your lungs and we all created by the same person, we all have the ability to do the same things. So we have to learn how to generate money and work for profit because that's the first step. How do I build for myself? How do I build for my family when majority of individuals are building for someone else, just like enslavement? So if you're being an entrepreneur, shout out. If you're trying, if you fail, keep pushing because that's where your favor is going to lie. And you're going to be able to bring more money in and work less and get yourself to financial independence faster. Yes. Yes, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, and, and maybe to encourage others, that spirit of entrepreneurialism, not entrepreneurialism doesn't have to mean drop everything right now to start a business. You can run a business while being employed and creating what we call passive income, you know, owning land and being a landlord, providing housing, which is very important in today's day and age. That can create a stream of income that has no esprit. We all gonna need roof over our head all the time. So, you know, really encouraging. If you have that idea, if you have that 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 inkling of, oh, I just really want to do this. I want to start this. Like Janine said, we all are breathing the same air. If somebody else built the business is successful. Mm -hmm. So can you. Um, so support those, support one another, but also don't forget to support yourself and, and you know, help the economy by starting your business, launching it, and we'll be here to lift you up. Yes. Um, maybe I do want to hear from one or two more ladies. Say something encouraging for the audience as we're, we're, we're rolling out. Courtney, you've been kind of quiet. Say something, girl. Say I would have to say that this past tax season, since I started my um, since I started doing my rental properties last year, to speak to what Janine just said, definitely I went from owing a lot of money and then putting in all that rental information and that I'm a landlord, I am now getting back money. So definitely um, yes. I'm learning about how pretty much the system 
does work for you as long as you know you, you know, are uh, making your money that the way the system wants you to make it. So, but and, <clears throat> in terms of just supporting black businesses, the only thing I can say is we support everybody else, so it shouldn't be a problem to support one another. Yeah. Yes. And I would just like to add, I make it a point to always support um, black businesses as much as I love to eat. I try to search for a black owned place, you know, first. Um, I help out uh, a black owned business uh, while I'm KC. I actually was, uh, I work a few hours a week um, at his store on my off days and, you know, just try to support that way. Um, I also just recently started a travel business to um, get the passive income and things for myself as well. But I feel like it's very important to support um, black businesses because um, as Janine was mentioning about <clears throat> Trump and the Amazon owner, like if that was a black person and we were supporting that black person, wouldn't you want someone who you may need to support you or someone who um that that will relate to you you know what i mean so if we're building someone up i would like that person to look like me i would like that person to relate to me so if i'm supporting the community then the community will support me so then that's just going to build the community and anytime i may need a resource I have more options to choose from in my own community that look like me. And if God is in the neighborhood blessing, I want to be in that neighborhood. So if all the blessings is in the other neighborhood, in Trump's neighborhood, I don't live on Trump's block. So I want the blessings to be in my neighborhood. So some of those blessings will get to me. So support others so that you will be in the neighborhood when the blessings come your way um, as well. Can I add something really fast? <laughs> so um, Princess talked about at the beginning how you how you are a mirror when you well not when you were talking about Miss Adrian and how um, you 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 are a mirror reflecting, you know, what you know, what you what you see. Right. And so I wanted to add that in to the whole conversation about um how we view other black business owners and their attitudes a lot of times people go into these situations with the misconception that there's going to be an attitude presented so you are getting the reflection of what you went in there with i've never had a bad experience with a black business i'm just gonna put it like that but i, I also don't go in there expecting to have one either so I just want to. All right. <laughs> I would like to say something too. Um, my quote, I think, is when one succeeds, we all succeed. And I think that that's important to think about because representation matters. And so if we see other people that look like us succeeding and doing well, then it can give other people hope that there is a, a possibility for them too, that there's room for them too. But I think if we don't see that, um, see black businesses thriving, then it um, can maybe be discouraging for us. So uh, building or, or 
supporting black businesses, I think, is important for representation and helping to grow our economy, closing that wealth gap that we keep talking about, and then seeing other people like us so that it gives us encouragement and hope. And I, th I think about um, when um, in war, I was in the military, I'm, I'm a vet, and I wasn't in war, but we were trained to war, um, for war and in different scenarios. And so we had buddies. And so sometimes going through some of the, the trainings and the obstacle courses that we would have to go through, and I would look over and see my buddy or she'd look over and see me and we'd shake our head like, we got this, let's keep going. And so we encouraged each other to, to keep going. And I think that um, us supporting black businesses mm -hmm. can be that kind of support for the community at large. So yeah. again, when one of us succeeds, we all succeed. I love that. What an awesome note to end on. When one succeeds, we all succeed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I wanna give special shout out to Janine and Adrian. Changing Lives Financially. You all, please be on the lookout for events from them. Please be on the lookout for them if you hear that they're coming in town. Or actually, how can we get in touch with you all? Maybe can you share that? How can we um, reach out to each of you? Uh, well, my uh, I am on social media uh, trying to you know work with that a little bit. So I'm on Instagram uh, at, uh, at Janine Anderson. And uh, saying my name on Facebook, uh, also TikTok. I do little, little, you know, educational things on there as well. And um, my uh, phone number is 816-812-6855. And email address is janineanderson at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you. So if anyone wants to reach out or wants more advisement on their financial situation, please reach out to Janine. I believe she could also put you in touch with Adrian. If I'm understanding correctly, they work very closely together. Um, did you want to say something, Adrian, as well, or maybe share your contact info? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm on Facebook as Adrian Erica Taylor. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as Adrian Erica Taylor. And I'm on TikTok as the Financial Syndicate. Um, and you can reach me at 816-419-2719. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So y'all be sure to get in touch with them. We are over time, but I, I just could, I just kept talking. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for the night. Thank you all ladies so much. I'm going to give you a Who round says? of applause. Yes. Can I say one more thing? Sure. I'm sorry. So um, we mentioned it, but I just want to make sure that the audience is aware that we do offer a complimentary financial um, assessment. So oh. that, that assessment that Princess was talking about that she went through that provides the holistic approach, um, that's something that there's no obligation to get that done, but it can provide you with a, a wealth of information in terms of uh, getting you on track to hit your financial goals. Yes. Oh, and I want to piggyback on that. Um, twice a month, we do a basic of investing seminar where we're teaching just to understand the logics of the market and 
and how um, it's, it should be your friend and how simple it is to understand it, to remove the emotion so a person can hit financial independence. And then we have another one that's just straight about financial concepts that Adrian actually hosts that one, uh, which we have that this Thursday as well. Uh, and on social media, you will see where we kind of market those uh, things and provide the links where a person can join those and they complimentary. They're no longer than anywhere from 30, 45 minutes to an hour. So it's not long, but we actually have a financial wellness workshop that Adrian will be hosting this coming Thursday. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. And right. no obligation to that is just information. Yeah. I'm going to have to tune in to that. Okay. <laughs> Y'all dropped so much knowledge on me, but I do want to give you ladies a round of applause. Thank you for sticking it out with me, for educating and uplifting the community. We'll go ahead and wrap things up. Audience, thank you for joining us tonight with these wonderful women. We are going to go ahead and call it a night, producer. I don't know if you're going to take everybody on stage or if you want me to just do the wrap up with everybody on stage. Give me some guidance here. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. Well, audience, we thank you so much. It was a wonderful evening. Again, like we mentioned, we know that it's maybe not natural for a lot of us to think about money as a resource, as a tool, as something that is valuable that we deserve and we can have and we can leave throughout our legacy. We recognize the challenges that all of us have been through. That's why we came to the couch. But we can change the narrative going forward. We can change our destinies going forward. And so I do hope that you end tonight being empowered, wanting to support one another and looking for opportunities to find a black business to uplift this Juneteenth. If you don't already follow our Blacked Out Couch podcast, I do want to give a special shout out to our sponsors. Actually, I remember uh, Waltz being, being dropped. So that is the popper famously known in Kansas City, the I'm KC store. He is one of our sponsors. He's been supporting us from the beginning and also giving a shout out to 64111 Studio and um, Lifted KC. All sponsors, we enjoy them all. If you don't know about them, know about them. You can learn about them from our website. Until the next time that we are together. We're hoping healing for all. Thank you and have a good night.